Well, we're continuing to work our way through the book of Daniel, just to bring us back into the story, right? There's the people of Israel that God deeply loved. He says in Deuteronomy that he loves to love his people, but his people were disobedient. And just like any loving parent here, you would bring discipline into your child or your children as they disobey. And so that's exactly what God was doing. He was bringing a heavy hand onto his people because he loved them. Unless you think that this is just an Old Testament practice, it's not. Even in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 12, many of us are familiar with Hebrews 12, it says this, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Skipping a little bit, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. So he has something big that he wants to do. He, he's moving us to be conformed to the image of his son. What strikes me about that passage is it begins with endure hardship, and he doesn't define the kind of hardship. It can be anything that's hard in our lives, but what's significant about it is you don't get focused on the hardship, you get focused on God. It shifts everything about us. So this morning, we're going to be in an exciting passage in Daniel chapter 10. It's going to stir a lot of your thinking, so you're going to need to put on some thinking caps this morning. It's going to bring up lots of questions, maybe questions you've never entertained before, and there's something in this chapter for everyone here this morning. So if you are on your journey with God and you're just leaving God a little bit at a distance, maybe you've never moved towards God, God is going to speak into your life today if you'll let him. If you're a baby Christian, will you let God speak into your life? If you're on your journey and you want to go deeper, will you let God speak into your life? If you're in a posture of surrender, and you live in that posture, that attitude of heart, will you let God speak into your life? Let me ask the question in a slightly different way. Will you, wherever you are in your journey, let God have his way? Because he's got a bigger, better, more beautiful plan than you could ever imagine, even as it includes hardship. So will you let God have his way? Well, let's dive into Daniel chapter 10. I hope you got baited enough that it's an exciting chapter. If you have a device, if you have a Bible, I want you to see it with your own eyes. It's amazing. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand? We're going to read the first nine verses. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food. I ate no meat or drank wine. 
touched my lips. I ate no choice or wine. Touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great war, uh, the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there was before me a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from from Upez around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it. But such terror overwhelmed me that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking. As I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. God, this is only the beginning of the vision. Would you use it maybe to rock our world, to expand our minds, but more than anything, that we would see that you have a bigger, a better, and a more better, a beautiful plan than we could ever imagine. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may grab a seat. As we look at this this morning, you've heard me say now, God has this this plan, and, and it's bigger. It's bigger than any plan you have for your life. It's better than any plan that you have for your life, and it's more beautiful than any plan you could ever imagine. God wants to work in our lives, and so it brings back the question over and over. So now we're in a section of Daniel. Chapters 10, 11, and 12 are the closing vision. It's these chapters that really cause people to doubt the veracity, the historicity of the book of Daniel. He gets so specific that there's no way someone could know what Daniel knows. Of course, unless God brings it. But a lot of the world that denies God would say, no, this book must have been written after the fact to have such detail in it. So as we go into these next few chapters, we're going to see some new things happening. But what I want to begin with this morning is that God works out the details of his plan. God is working out the details of his plan. And let me just say, if you resist his plan, you doubt his plan, you ignore his plan, it's not going to stop his plan. (laughs) He's going to move forward and do what he wants to do. Now we need to dive in a little deeper. Before we dive into verse 1, let me just bring us a little bit more. Remember, Daniel now is been in captivity for almost 70 years. Cyrus, as we're going to see in verse 1, has already started sending people back to Jerusalem. People were already moving back to Israel. And Daniel was getting these visions, going back mostly to chapter 8, and God was starting to open up to him this plan. And this plan was so troubling. It was disturbing. And we see it again in this reading that we just encountered, that Daniel is uncomfortable with what's happening. So now, he's an older man, 
He's probably in his mid to late 80s. He probably is not going back to Israel. The trip would be too arduous, but more than that, he's been serving as the prime minister of these countries. God, not Daniel's skill, not his knowledge, not his abilities, God raised him up to this position and put him where he wanted him. There's a place to think about your own life. God is at work. Will you let him have his way to do what he wants to do? Well, let's look at verse 1. Verse 1, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, that's probably 536 B.C. 536, Cyrus took over in 539. It says his third year, we're about 536 then. He's the king of Persia. A word, a revelation came or was given was given to Daniel, its message was true, and it concerned a great war. A great war. Now, you and I start thinking immediately, well, I won't presume upon you. I'll just say for myself, I just start thinking in this physical world, war. But what if there's another world where there's a great war taking place? Now, that's so contrary to the world in which we live. We live in a world that is so scientifically driven. We can't imagine that there's a spiritual world where there's a spiritual war that is taking place and that what's happening on earth is mirroring what is happening in the heavens. And so Daniel is being opened up into this. He says the understanding of the message came to him in a vision. So God now is bringing him into this amazing, amazing vision. We look at it, I want to say one more thing. It's a true message. As it gets revealed here, he says very clearly, it's a true message. Verse 2 and 3, let's go a little further. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. He mourned. Now, you got to ask yourself a couple things. Why was he mourning? Here, his people are going back to Jerusalem. They're going back to Israel. The temple is already starting to be rebuilt. It's because of the vision. But there's something deeper here, and we're going to see it in verse 4. We read it, but verse 4, it says the time in which this was taking place. For those that are Bible students, you know that he's talking about the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now these were feasts. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was ordained by God right back into the Torah. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of rejoicing. It's a time when God's people would celebrate in a big way. Perhaps one of the most important feasts of the entire Jewish calendar. And yet we find Daniel mourning. And it says that he entered a fast. He says he ate no food. He drank no wine. He started to pull away. And as we're going to see, is it's meant to connect with God. 
In the Bible, we see that God would call fast over and over when individuals or the nation wanted to see God move in a special way. They were seeking him. And of course, as you just heard, we're entering at Fox LA Church a season where we're wanting to fast. And so we are giving you a booklet this booklet looks like this. If you're interested, we're not forcing this on anybody, but we're inviting. We're inviting because we take seriously our walk with God. And beginning on Ash Wednesday, we want to enter a 40-day fast. Now, lots of people have questions. We put in the back of the book FAQ. So if you have questions about this, maybe your church tradition, you can look at all those. But it's a time to seek God. And this is a time in our world and in our lives that we need to seek God. I remember when I was a little kid, I'd go to my grandparents' house. They lived in Displains, and in Displains, they had this house with a basement. And I was young, I was five, six years old, and they would send me down to the basement. It was an unfinished basement. I wasn't going down in that basement. I was afraid. I was scared to go down into the basement. Last week, I was playing with my grandchildren in our basement. And we have an unfinished basement. We were playing a little ping pong, and we have the last ball left of our ping pong set. And I hit it under some shelves. Someone had to reach their hand <laughs> under the shelf. And my grandkids said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. Now, why am I talking about basements? Because a fast is talking about going down in the basement. It's about addressing those things in your life maybe that you don't want to look at. Maybe those things that scare you. Maybe those things that have intimidated you. Maybe those things that have controlled you. All of us need from time to time, to go down in the basement. And I want to tell you something. There's someone down there in the basement. And we're going to find out who that person is in this passage. And it's good. It's good. So I just want to invite you into this 40-day fast. I want to bring us into this place where we're willing to go down into the basement and let God work in the deepest part of our hearts, to remove those fears, to remove those anxieties, to maybe speak into our lives those areas that have controlled us that we haven't relinquished. Ultimately, it's all about him. So Daniel is fasting. And then it says, after the fast, he used no lotions right? There, there, there's no sign of rejoicing. Oils is what they would put on. It was a sign of rejoicing. He's not rejoicing. He's not celebrating. Remember, too, as I go back and think about the fast, remember Jesus? He said and expected his disciples to fast after he left. So we should be thinking about that as well. So as we look at this, I want to remind you, too, is it Daniel saw this vision, but it says that those who were with him 
did not. Let's look at verses 5 and 7 and 8. He says, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen. Now I put a dot, dot, dot because I want to hold that thought. We've already read it. Daniel sees this man. Daniel, going on, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone. For those who have spiritual eyes right now, are you grabbing hold of what just happened? There are some people here, just like there were some people in Daniel chapter 10, who did not see what was happening spiritually right before them. Do you have spiritual eyes to see what's happening right now, right in front of you? Do you have eyes to see the spiritual realm that is raging against the physical realm? Do you have eyes to see what God is doing in your own life in the life of this church, in the life of the people around you. Because I'm telling you, not everybody sees. They go through the motions, but they're not willing to sit with God long enough for him to open their eyes, their spiritual eyes, to see that he's got a bigger, a better, and a more beautiful plan than you could ever imagine. So we see this man who's in linen, Well, the question is, who is he that Daniel saw, but the others ran? ran. They fled. Who is this man? Well, we've already read the description, but what's very interesting is we see the same description in Revelation chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. Let's look at Revelation. We're going to pull it up on the slides. Among the lampstand was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Well, we know in Revelation chapter 1, by the description, that that's Jesus Christ, because what it says in Revelation 1, that it is Jesus Christ. And what we see in Daniel chapter 10 and Revelation chapter 1 is a similarity of this vision that Daniel sees. So let's look at a chart of comparison just so you can see what he's doing here. So in this comparison, in Daniel chapter one or 10, it says he's dressed in linen. In Revelation, it says he's dressed in a robe. Well, the linen is the same priestly robe that we see in Revelation. In Revelation, it says robe, but in Daniel, it says linen. If you go back to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 28, you see that the priests were wearing these long robes. It was a belt of fine gold in Daniel. 
And same thing in Revelation, with a gold sash, his face like lightning, his face was like the sun. You see the similarities of these descriptions, his eyes like flaming torches, his eyes like blazing fire, his voice like the sound of a multitude in Daniel, but in Revelation, his voice like rushing waters. My point is to bring us is that I think the vision that Daniel saw was the pre-incarnate Christ. Theologians would call this a theophany. God gave Daniel the vision of Jesus Christ before he took on flesh, the second person of the Trinity. Now, what's going to make this complicated in the reading of Daniel chapter 10 is that there's some other figures, some spiritual beings. And sometimes it's hard to tell, is he talking about the same one that we read in verses 5 and 6, or is he talking about Gabriel that we read about before, or is he talking about Michael, the archangel? All of these can be playing in, and so you are going to have to, as a Bible student, as a Bible reader, try to understand this passage. I'm simply sharing where I'm studying, where I'm seeing it, recognizing that it is a complex passage. People come up with different opinions. But here in these verses, we see, I think, the pre-incarnate Christ invading Daniel's life, invading his world. And we're going to find out in a moment why. So we begin to see this. So let's move on just a little further to verses 10 and 11. We didn't read these. It says, behold. Now, I put the word behold there because this word behold in the Hebrew is there. So when I'm reading the Hebrew text, it says behold. Now, sometimes in English, they'll use a word like then or oh, but not every translation does it. Some English translations do it. Now, why I put it on the screen here is because Daniel is trying to draw our attention to something that he sees. And it seems like he uses behold, and we're going to see it again and again, he uses it several times, is that he's shifting a little bit with who's touching him and who's talking to him. Who's saying what and what's going to happen. So he says in verse 10, he says, behold, a hand touched me. Now remember, in verse 9, we left him, he's laying flat out on the floor. A face plant, if you will. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Now he's on all fours. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up. So now he's standing up. He goes on, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Now, as I read this passage, because of what we see happening, I think this one that now touches Daniel is not the pre-incarnate Christ. Some people want to read it and say, no, this is the same one. I think it's a different being, a spiritual being. And we're going to see why in just a moment, why I think there's a shift here. But I think part of it is the behold. Daniel is not even looking around, and all of a sudden, someone touches him. And this one was sent, and of course, angels are sent. And what we see about this angel 
is that he speaks to Daniel and says, you are highly esteemed. Many translations, because of the nature of the Hebrew words behind it, will say, Daniel, you are greatly loved. Now, what do angels do? They bring messages from God. They speak the words of God. They're carrying his message forward. And so he's bringing this message. Daniel, remember, while you're mourning, while you've been fasting, you are profoundly loved by God. You and I need to recognize that's a message God wants to bring to you. You are profoundly loved. I don't care what you're going through. I don't know what's happening in life. It doesn't matter. You could be sailing. You could be soaring. You need to know you are profoundly loved by God. If it's the other direction, you need to know you are profoundly loved by God. Because of the nature of what we're reading, why did God write the book of Daniel? Because the hardship was going to be so hard God wanted his people not to just be enamored with visions and be enamored with future things and apocalyptic revelation. God wanted to remind his people, I love you. I'm here. I'm at work. And as you go through hard things, don't put your eyes on the hard things. Put your eyes on me and I will carry you through. I will sustain you. I will protect you. So we begin to see all this happening, unfolding right here before our very eyes. Verse 11, he goes and says, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. So he goes from Face plant to all fours to standing up, listening to God. Let's look at the next couple of verses, verses 12 to 14. Then he, I'm assuming the same spiritual being, which I don't think is the pre-incarnate Christ. I think we're talking about an angelic being here. Continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself. Don't miss that understanding Daniel was seeking the things of God he wanted to understand what God was doing and he humbled himself God looks to humble people he turns away from the proud if you're a proud arrogant haughty person until you repent you're going to miss out on what God has God looks for the broken and the contrite But he goes on, right, in verse, he says, humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard. Isn't that beautiful? God hears your words, everything you're praying, everything that's on your heart, even those words that don't get uttered, but they're just said in your heart, God knows them. That's what he's talking about here. God knows it all. I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian king, now this is where it gets interesting, right? The prince of the Persian king, who is this? This is where we get into angel and demonology, angelology and demonology. I can't go long or deep on this, but I want to open up this world to you is what we're going to begin to see in this passage is that there are demons that are over nations. There are angels over nations. So Michael, the archangel that we get to see, 
is the angel that is over God's people, the nation of Israel. We can see this in Jude chapter 9. We can see this in Revelation. Is that this Michael, the archangel, is over this. But there's some kind of spiritual battle. So this angel that touched Daniel said, hey, I wanted to come to you, but I was prevented by the demon that's over Persia. Remember now, the Persians are in control. This sets up a conversation about territorial spirits, that there are demons that are over nations, and then there's demons over states, and I think we could build a case that there's demons over communities just like our own. Now we're talking spiritual warfare, and people dismiss this. But if you think that the stuff you're going through can be explained only by physical forces, whether they're medical or financial or business or whatever, family, relational, however you want to cast it, do not think that what you're encountering is only to be explained in the physical realm. At least don't read Daniel chapter 10 and try to think that. Because there are demons that are over these territories seeking to destroy marriages, families, pull children away from their parents, pull them away from their grandparents or great-grandparents. He loves to disrupt things. He loves to disturb people. He loves to create anger. He loves to create animosity. He loves hostility. He is a murderer, as Jesus said, from the beginning. And that's what we're beginning to set up. Now, we know very little of how these demons war against each other. But this demon over Persia was resisting the angel that was sent by God to come speak to Daniel for weeks. How does that happen? I don't know. There's all kinds of mysteries, but what we see in Daniel is that there is a spiritual war. And just like there was physical war with the Babylonians and the Persians going against God's people on the physical plane, there's a spiritual battle raging in the heavenlies right now. For those who have eyes to see can see and know that there's more than this world. Science cannot explain. It's not even a good story of what is happening in this world. The best story that explains the most evidence that's happening in this world is the biblical story that includes all of this. So Daniel is seeing all of this, and this angel is there. Then we find, verse 13, the prince of Persia kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then we get another behold. Now, I don't have all this on the the scriptures here, I don't think. Then Michael, then Michael, there's a behold right there. That then is a behold in Hebrew. So what Daniel is trying to do is he's saying, hey, pay attention right now. There's a pivot Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. See how God sends his angels? Oh, I got to tell you this. I mean, I got so many angel stories of what God has done in my life that are just amazing. I don't want to tell you those this morning because I've already said them. But what I want to encourage you with is in Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, it sets up the picture that you and I have guardian angels. 
that God has messengers specifically for you. And what we begin to see here is that there's some angelic interaction going on with the other world and this world. The other realm and this realm is what we see. Behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen. And that'll be chapter 11. So next week, you don't want to miss this because you're going to get deeper in the vision. This is just the intro to the vision and the war that is taking place. Well, let's skip to verse 15. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Behold, now we get to a new one, right? There's another pivot. Behold, the one who looked like a man touched my lips. I think this is the pre-incarnate Christ that is mentioned back in chapter or verses 5 and 6. That the one that we see in verse 5, behold, there was a man dressed in fine linen. I think he's back to this. And he says, behold, the one who looked like a man touched my lips and opened my mouth and began to speak. And I want to just put it here in the word. I didn't put this all on slides. But listen to what happens here. Standing there before me, it says, now I've been overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Isn't that just like Jesus? He touches you, and he gives you strength. But he doesn't stop there. Daniel, don't be afraid. You are highly esteemed. You are loved by me. This is a pre-incarnate Christ. Peace, be strong. So let me just net it out for you in a slide here. The three things that Jesus comes to do. He says, don't be afraid, Daniel. You're in hard things. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Daniel. Then he says, you're greatly loved. That's what the highly esteemed is. The pre-incarnate Christ. Now, he's incarnate now. But he looks at you and he says, you are profoundly loved. So before we had the angelic messenger, now we have the pre-incarnate Christ. And what does he speak? Shalom over you. Isn't that beautiful? Just shalom over you. Here's my point. God comforts his people. He comforts his people. And God wants to comfort you. Life is hard. Life is hard. We're moving into a difficult season in the world and in our country. And we need to know that God comforts his people. In a world at war, my third point, God is present. There's a spiritual war going on. There's a physical war going on. We want out. If you're like me, and I'm sure you are, when it gets hard, we want to run. We want out. We want the mountains removed, but God wants the mountain there. Why? Because he has a bigger, better, and more beautiful plan, which is to conform us to the image of of Jesus Christ. Will you let him do that? Will you let him have his way? I just want to close with a couple verses. Remember of Jesus, when he left this earth, right before he ascended into heaven, 
He says, go, make disciples. Get about doing my father's business. Don't get enraptured with your own stuff. Don't get focused there. You go and make disciples. And at the very end of that, after he says, go and teach and all this, he says, I will be with you till the end of the age. So he's not going to move, remove mountains. Sometimes he does. He's removed many mountains in my life. But sometimes he says, you know what? This one's not going away. But I will be with you to the end of the age. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And you know how much I love that verse because it's the only verse in all the Greek Bible that says no four times. I will never, 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 never leave you or forsake you. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus says, I am for you. And if I am for you, who, who or what can be against you? Jesus wants to have his way. Will you let him have his way? Will you let him win the battles for you? Will you let him defend you? Will you let him be the Lord of your life and surrender? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, the power of your word, the goodness of your word. And there's so much we could say, God, but we love what you're doing. We embrace it with passion and power and goodness. And now, God, as, as we sing, as we express our love, let us remember that this battle is way bigger than ours that we think we're in. It's a spiritual battle. It's a physical battle. It's a battle for the souls of women and men and students and children. God, we want you to fight that battle. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.